comes from the book of Philippians, the first chapter, verses 3 through 11. I invite you, if you have your Bible, to turn and follow along. I'm reading from the revised, or the new revised standard version. Hear these words. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always and every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy, thankful for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel thus about you, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and with all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness which come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Although its official name is Saint John, the Cathedral of St. John the Divine, some would refer to it as the Cathedral of St. John the Unfinished. It's located in New York City. It's an Episcopal cathedral. cathedral. It's an impressive landmark. stands over 600 feet high. It's over, um, or 124 feet high, excuse me, 600 feet long. It's the long. It has the longest Gothic nave in the United States. It has a main sanctuary as well as seven chapels and many other unique features. Construction on it began in 1892. It was first occupied in part in 1899. It was not fully occupied until 1941. And over the years, it's been plagued by various problems from changes in architectural design to financial woes to wartime delays to engineering problems and in 2001, a destructive fire. So today, 126 years later, if you can imagine that, it's still under construction, and thus it's St. Paul, it's St. John the Unfinished. Now, unfinished is an important word. We don't like for things to be unfinished. We like for things to be complete, to be tidy and orderly and everything in its place. Yet that's rarely the case. Take, for example, if you're remodeling your bathroom. What a hassle. And especially if you're doing it yourself, it never gets done as quickly as you hoped it would. You could call it the John Unfinished, but I think you'd rather prefer to call it a work in progress. However we level such incompletions, they send a stand in stark judgment of us, reminding us of life that is often chaotic and incomplete and in flux. Now it's one thing to talk about things that are unfinished. A bathroom, a basement, whatever. 
There's another thing when we think about ourselves as being unfinished persons, falling short of the goal of being the persons God calls us to be. Given that the New Testament uses the word saints to refer to living followers of Jesus, we could refer to ourselves as St. Steve the Unfinished, St. Jen the Unfinished, St. Jane the Unfinished, St. Gloria the Unfinished. We sometimes acknowledge that we're a work in progress. We refer to ourselves as a um, Christians under construction or a Christian under construction. Some people use that term just to get out of growing up. They, um, they refer to themselves as under construction, but in truth, it's a reminder that the Christian life is not an arrival point, but a journey. In other words, salvation is not just It's all done, I'm complete, I'm ready to go, I know it all, I understand it all, I am perfect. We know there was only one perfect person, by the way. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, was aware that Christianity is a journey. When I came into the ministry and when the first ministers he um, ordained came into the ministry and he went to ordain them, he asked them two very important questions. The first question was, are you going on to perfection? Are you going on to perfection? And they were expected to answer, I am by the grace of God. Then there was the second question, do you expect to be made perfect in this life? And the answer was expected to be, God willing, I do. God willing, I do. And even today, as I noted a moment ago, two centuries later, when I came into the ministry, when we ordained the next set of um, provisional elders and elders at this coming annual conference in June of 2019, they will be asked those same questions and others by Wesley that are still deemed most important. We don't need to be put off by that, the idea of being saints, the idea of being perfect, Because it's a concept that we find in Scripture. The author of Hebrews writes, Therefore let us go on toward perfection, leaving behind the basic teaching about Christ, and not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God. The writer of Hebrews wasn't suggesting that we abandon the basic teachings about Christ in the sense of rejecting them for something different. Rather, he was saying that we're spending, if we're spending all our time talking about the basics, repentance, faith toward God, then we're not moving on that upper level as I was trying to explain to the kids, that upper level of moving on towards perfection, of growing in our knowledge, and our understanding of Christ, of not remaining like this, but expanding our understanding of who we are, whose we are, and who we're called to be by God's grace. And of course, that connects to Jesus' words as we find them in the Sermon on the Mount, where all the com- after the commandments, the followers, after commanding the followers to love their enemies, He added, Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Scott Hamley, who serves the United Methodist Church in Pennsylvania, 
explains going on to perfection this way. It's not that Wesley expected us to truly be perfect in this life. To be absolutely perfect. He meant more of a practical perfection of being perfected in love. In other words, we could reach a point where we did not knowingly, intentionally sin. Nonetheless, we would sin. We would have sins of commission and sins of omission simply because we wouldn't have all the information to make the right decision and we would end up making the wrong one. We wouldn't have perfect knowledge. But Wesley believed that it was possible that by God's grace, a believer could mature to the point where they never intentionally sin. Now, Hamie goes on to say, Wesley never believed he got to that point. And he was suspicious of someone who might say, I've gone on to perfection. So in other words, it was a, a, an ideal, a goal to shoot for that kept us growing and expanding our knowledge, our understanding, and the way we lived our lives so that we became more and more and more loving. More and more Christ-like in how we lived our lives each day. And he's right, we're not there yet. We're unfinished. And with that, I want you to hear a verse again that I read from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. The day of His second coming, in other words. And Paul's point is the completion point of the spiritual life is not until the end, as I've noted a moment ago. It is an ongoing process of growth, of change, of transformation from one kind of person to a more godly being. Meanwhile, while we are, quote, works in progress, the idea is to keep progressing. The idea is to keep growing. The idea is to keep striving. The idea is to not say, I've reached a comfortable point. I don't want to take that next step, God. It's not really a place I want to be. Part of the deal is, He's in management. We're not. And we're to do as He asks us to do because we are His people. Paul goes on to say, in regard to this, that his hope for the believers at Philippi is love may may overflow more and more with knowledge and with full insight to help them to determine what is best so that in the day of Christ they may be pure and blameless having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. In other words, by the end of their journey, they will be completed in the full sense of the word. At the end of their journey. At the end of their journey. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer of the last century, understood this well. He says he kept having a dream. And in his dream, he would have a toothache. And he would wait as long as he could to go to his mother to get an aspirin because he knew, and this dream repeated itself, he knew that if he went to her to get the aspirin, the next day she would take him to the dentist. 
And in the dream, when he went to the dentist, the dentist didn't just poke, and I was at the dentist earlier this week, so I can attest to this, um, and you'll know of which I speak when I say it. You know, they never are satisfied with that one tooth that might be bothering you a little bit. They have to poke and prod and, you know, feel around all those other teeth and see if they find a spot somewhere else or a little pain somewhere else or a place that's sensitive to ice or, or cold or heat. Lewis went on to say that's how Christ is. That He's like the dentist. That He doesn't stop with just the one tooth that might be ailing you, but He wants to make sure that as God says, well and done, my um, good and faithful son, that Christ is not going to stop until God's able to say that to us. Well done, my good and faithful son. Well done, my good and faithful daughter. And while we're in route, recognizing the unfinished nature of our lives, let me suggest that as we practice our faith, knowing that we are imperfect, it should help us, for example, to live life with humility. To recognize that we don't have all the answers and we, that we don't... Um, know all that God intends for us, that humility should be a mark of graciousness and willingness to listen to other people. Secondly, we should be aware, beware of certainty because we are imperfect people, we are on a journey, and God's not finished with us yet, and we may be certain of something that just turns out to be not the case. And we've set our feet in the ground, we've made our line that nobody can cross and we're not going to cross it, and we find out at the end of the day, well, I think it's best told in a joke or a dream that um, Reinhold Niebuhr had, one of the great theologians of the 19th century. He said he dreamed that he was in heaven and he was pushing a... Um, wheelbarrow of all the things that he'd ever written. He was a prolific writer, a great theologian. And he's pushing it along, and St. Paul's leading him through heaven, and he gets to, to uh, God and his throne, and God is just laughing at one of those big, ah, 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 belly laughs. And when he finally catches his breath, he says, Reinhold, I'm sorry, but you were wrong. You know, all this great theology he'd written, all this things that have made him an, a very famous Christian theologian. I'm sorry. You were wrong. We should also work on being perfect in love. We do that by saying yes to God and by allowing ourselves to grow and change in our thoughts and in our actions as God reveals to us, you know, that's really not the best way to handle that or not the best way to, to do this or not the best way to approach that. Second, or moving on, do the work of God now. Remember, just as the cathedral of St. John the Divine was not finished and is not finished yet, that doesn't mean that it's not doing ministry and not making a difference in the lives of other people. 
That's what we're called to do. And then expect our progress to continue as we seek God's will. In other words, going on to perfection is not something that we're doing by ourselves. It is a um, relationship between us and God that moves us further and further along down the road to where God wants us to be. Most importantly, we should be hopeful. And I think that's the message, the most important message I want to leave with you as we close. Most of all, we should be hopeful, remembering that as each of us remains a faithful disciple, committed to following Jesus, the one who began a good work in us will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. So it's okay if we're St. Jane the Imperfect, St. Jill the Imperfect, St. John the Imperfect, St. Joe the Imperfect, Our goal is not to worry about our imperfection as much as it is to be moving on towards perfection. Thanks be to God who doesn't leave us alone. But it's like that dentist when we we begin to have a problem, he's going to poke and prod and encourage and lead and not let us go. Let us pray. Dear God, Jesus was born into this world not to have so much of our time, so much of our money, or so much of our work. He came to show us the way of perfection, meaning that we are to give all of ourselves to Him. He came as we are to kill the natural self that dwells within us and perfect us in love by giving us His will to replace our own. Boy, that's tough. Because we want to be masters of our own universe. So while it may seem a dawning undertaking, and we certainly can't accomplish such a radical transformation on our own, we know with you all things are possible. And we pray this day that as you have begun a good work within us, you might indeed bring it to completion. Lord, this is our prayer offered in the name of our Lord, risen Savior and Redeemer. Amen and Amen.